0: gives us a TV program, we pray that
1: Paved with gold Lifted some stones Saw the skin and bones Of a city without a soul I stopped outside a church house Where the citizens like to sit They say they want the kingdom But they don't want God in it Yeah, I went with nothing Nothing but the thought of you I went wandering
0: From the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face-to-face, and I'm your host, Sean McCraney. Heart of the Matter can be seen here on television, of course, through streaming video at uh, www.hotm.tv, in that same website, at the archives, and then, of course, on the internet, especially on YouTube, wherever you're watching from, we welcome you. How about uh, joining an open, friendly, never denominational Bible study that meets every hour, every week, um, every every week for one hour, God willing? Where at the University of Utah, when from 2:30 to 3:30 p.m. every Sunday? Um, why do we do it? Because it's vital to Christian growth. Uh, want more information? Go to www.calvarycampus.com times and directions there. What do you do while you're driving into the Bible study? Tune into AM 820, and you can hear replays of Heart of the Matter right there on that station, AM 820, the truth's excellent station. For those of you who are interested in learning more about the Word of God, listen to it all the time. Two books for your consideration. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would fight. Um... We think it's important to understand our biblical position relative to everything that is going on in America today. In the name of Jesus, um, from the Glenn Becks to the Mormon Church to widespread, watered-down ecumenical outreaching, uh, check it out. Presently, you can get it at two places, hotm.tv, Calvary Chapel, Salt Lake City, and uh, Lifeway Christian Bookstores is going to start carrying it. Uh, beginning the middle of March. And then from another book that we have, uh, I Was a Born-Again Mormon, kind of the thing that started it all. You can see it there on the screen. And that book is available at uh, Lifeway Christian Bookstores, Christian Gift and Bible, Calvary Chapel, Salt Lake, Utah Lighthouse Ministry, Oasis Books in Logan, Gift of Grace in Springville, Living Word Bookstore, Twin Falls, Idaho, Christian Center Books in Park City, Utah, and of course, as line on well as well. For the rest of the month, the Salt Lake City Rescue Mission has a drive going to help the less fortunate warm up during these winter months. Join us by bringing your new and gently used winter coats, men's and women's right here to the lobby of KTMW TV 20 between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m., Monday through Friday. TV 20 is located at 314 South Redwood Road. It's between, it's south of the I-80 and north of 400 South. Uh, the coats are needed and greatly appreciated. <clears throat> you deserve something new for lunch. T's Grill, 405 South Main Street, Salt Lake City in the Kin Garf Building. Your American and Asian favorites under one roof. Stop in tomorrow for breakfast or lunch. They serve this dinner tonight. And wow, folks, is it good food. So uh, try that out, it's very good. And um, they would love to see you in there. All right, so we're gonna take a minute and hear from the Word. I'm not seen. We have been uh, taking a casual walk through the Book of Matthew, just skimming through each chapter, and we come across passages that help illuminate the uh, discussion between Mormonism and Biblical Christianity. And uh, we point, point out things that they co- either contradict or they miss or they don't teach at all. How do I know? I used to be a Latter-day Saint, uh, a teacher in the LDS Church, seminary teacher. Sure, Mormons say that they believe the Bible and they say that they study the Bible. But what they really do is they teach Mormonism using the Bible. If they come across a passage that doesn't support Mormonism, they discount it. They don't teach it. They pass it over or they uh, mistranslate it or miss. Uh, uh, interpret it. And if they find something that supports their doctrine, then they'll teach that with a lot of emphasis and, and uh, vigor. So um, we've come to Matthew chapter five. It's a sermon on the mount. And the preface of that is called the Beatitudes, the Be Happies. Now, believe it or not, from verse three to verse 10, Jesus lays out one of the most amazing kind of, it's not a formula, but it's like characteristics for a true believer. And this is what he says. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. And then verse 10, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, what does Jesus mean by all of this? If you're LDS, the lesson would typically go something like this. You know, we need to be humble and we need to mourn for those that mourn and we need to be meek. We need to be righteous, we need to be merciful, we need to be pure in heart and peacemakers, and be persecuted for our goodness, right? Now it's not easy, but it's certainly worth it to be all those things to enter into the celestial kingdom. So let's go to the next verse. That's kind of how a teaching would normally go. It's pretty much standard. But how about a Christian analysis? What would happen when you get to a a Christian church and the pastor has the word in front of him and he reads those same passages? Well, a teacher of the word will take the whole word. He'll take the Old Testament and the New Testament and he'll teach the passages contextually. Uh, He would use the Greek to give examples of what mourn really means or meek or hungry and thirsty and what they actually mean relative to the whole of Scripture, not just what they think it means because of our... Uh, human understanding in English growing up here in Utah or wherever, okay? And uh, they would teach the word by the rest of the word. They would let the, the, from Genesis to Revelation, explain what those passages mean relative to what is said from Revelation, from Genesis to Revelation. So let me give you an example of this formula that, uh, that Many, I've learned this from somebody else, I didn't come up with this, but a pastor taught me this, and it's amazing. So what what you have there are those uh, nine verses, and you think, well, those were very nice. Those are things we need to do. But if you look at them closely, the first one is, blessed are the poor in spirit, and Jesus says, theirs is the kingdom of heaven, okay? So I would suggest to you that that is an example of someone who comes to know who the Lord is. They are broken, they're poor in spirit, they realize their sinful life relative to a holy God. And theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's an automatic thing. This is justification, okay? We continue with the justification process in the next one, which is those that mourn and... and you're going to mourn over the life you've lived. You're gonna mourn over the time wasted. You're gonna mourn over the things you did to put Christ on the cross, all those things. And Jesus says there shall be the kingdom of heaven. So as you are going and you continue to experience these things, you, will, you, you shall have the blessings that will come. And then the next one is blessed are the meek. And so what you're witnessing here, you see these minuses? These are like negatives, and what it's doing is it's taking away the old self you built up. And you're you're, uh, poor in spirit, and you're mourning, and you become meek. And Jesus says, you shall inherit the earth. And again, it's a futuristic promise. So that is the first part of it, okay? But then we start to come to things that build us up. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness and he says it's again it's a future promise they shall and he gives the promise and then we get another plus adding to us blessed are the merciful this is a proactive characteristic of a Christian and again he says they shall it's a future promise and again he goes and he says blessed are the pure in heart and again he says they shall and so what this is this is sanctification See, we've already, over here, we have come to know who Jesus is. We recognize ourselves as a sinner. We've been saved. Ours is the kingdom of heaven. And then over here, we have sanctification. We begin to add in positive characteristics of who we are. We shall hunger and thirst, and we have blessings for that later. We're merciful, and we'll have blessings for that later. We become pure in heart. We'll have blessings for that later. And then he says, peacemakers, okay? And he says, they shall. Again, a blessing to come later. And then he says, finally, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And look at this. This is like the whole cycle, okay? And he says, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So whether you have just been justified, realizing who you are as a sinner, or if you have become very sanctified as a long-term mature Christian and all these, you still is the kingdom of heaven, even to the point if you're being persecuted and lose your life. You see the wonders of the word? It's not just you read them and it says, you gotta do this, you should do that, this is what we want you to do. It's, it's how God teaches us how to grow in him and that's just a little example from the word all right let's go to a short spot and we'll be right back Welcome back. How about some emails and other communications? First, I had a conversation with a good friend the other day about some people who are talking about yours truly regarding some certain Christian theologies, it seems there are some who want to try and kind of categorize me so that they can either lift me up as being on their team within the body or put me down as not being correct in my theology. So let me clear a couple things up. First, let's talk about my eschatology. That's my view of end times. And uh, I generally think and teach pre-trib essentially because that's how I see the word. I see the word as teaching pre-trib, but I'm also open to being wrong on that. I could be wrong on that. And if the reality is post-trib, uh, I'm gonna trust in the Lord all the same. It's not a deal breaker with me and other believers. I refuse to let it separate me from the body. We can have people who are pre or post or whatever and it's gonna be the same. I'm pre-millennial as well, but this is not a hill to die on to me. So there uh, are amillennials out there. There are pre There are post There are preterists. There are everything under the sun out there. Something's right, we know, but sometimes we don't essentially really know those small details, and so we just live by faith and trust the Lord. If someone has an d- opinion that differs from mine, that's fine. I love them the same, but I have certain views, and uh, I'm, I'm, pre-mill- I'm pre-millennial. Uh, nothing I take a, a hard stance on. Then there's whether I'm a dispensationalist or not. I know I'm throwing out a lot of big words, but this has been discussed. And without going into it, I embrace much of what dispensationalism teaches. Obviously, I am pro-Israel and um, sep I believe that God has separate covenantal agreements with Israel than he does with the Christian church. So it sort of puts me right in the middle of this uh, dispensationalism bit, but I also realize that dispensationalism became very popular in the 19th century. And I'm aware that it was spread through people like Darby and um, Schofield, and that it may not have been overly taught in the early church, but I do see it present in the word of God. I see it all through the word of God. Uh, but who cares really? Um, because I am certainly wrong about some things and I could be wrong about that. Then there are accusations. I'm a Calvinist, not so. There are accusations. I'm an Arminius, not completely there, that I'm a this, I'm a that, a blah, 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 ad infinitum. Um, bottom line here I'm a sinner saved by grace uh, who lives by faith and hope. I choose to love all people and try to share Jesus as the sole solution to this life. In the end, I reject uh, these assigned titles and um, and the attempts to kind of pinpoint what I am or what I am not, except for the fact that I'm a sold-out believer in what Jesus does for people's lives, and then I'm a sold-out believer in following Him, okay? We got an email from a guy who fancies himself as an intellectual. His name is Blake. He sent me four thick pages of 49 questions he thinks are just, Fantastic, they're full of presuppositions which are somewhat comical. But nevertheless, I think I'm going to read one of his questions per week to show you what they are. And uh, so we can kind of answer him. Now, Blake comes from the atheist, there is no God perspective, and he gives me 49. So the first question he has is, why won't God heal amputees? That's what he asked. Well, Blake, I don't know. But I can make a guess. You see, God did not make this world and its environment that we see around us right now. Uh, He made a very different creation, one that was good, but like um, black shoes full of tar and oil over a pure white carpet, man brought sin into this creation and the whole thing became filthy and, um, and fell into darkness. Why would God let it fall, you would ask, I'm sure, because he's not a despot, Blake. He doesn't sit up on high and make humans do his will. He gives us free will and choice, freedom of choice, freedom to make mistakes. This stuff is paramount to God. But instead of abandoning this fallen world, which we deserve to be abandoned in many senses, he instead, because he loved it so much, he sent his son to overcome these tragic things like amputations. And his son came and he successfully overcame all. And anyone who wants to be saved from the misery and, and, and empty sorrow within them has him to look. With his stripes, we are healed. This means people who are physical amputees, spiritual amputees, emotional amputees, he came for all of us. So you ask, why doesn't he just step in and fix all these various cripples? Well, the simple answer is, Blake, if it was right, him to step in and do that he would so for some reason reasons that have to do with a balance of justice and mercy and righteousness and freedom and liberty and these eternal principles that he embodies for some reason, he allows this fallen state to continue while offering his son to be the solution for anyone who's searching. So you can reject that, but there's our answer this week to your question. And then uh, a couple more emails we get. This is from Lowell. I think this is very important. It says, the America and American and world media, both anti-Israel, appear to relish the recent uprising. Egypt on the west, Jordan on the east have been buffers for Israel for decades. Should these buffers cease to exist, Israel will be surrounded by Muslim countries determined to wipe her off the map. An Israeli officer told the Associated Press, quote, if there is a regime change, Israel will have to reassess its strategy to protect its borders from one of the most modern militaries in the region. End quote. The day after the United Nations declared Israel a Jewish state, five Arab armies attacked. She has fought for her life ever since. If I was a betting man, writes Lowell, I would put my money on Israel. So would I. And uh, finally, we're gonna go to uh, our message for tonight and we're gonna enter that with a word of prayer. God in heaven, I need you. Our volunteers and staff, our our technical uh, staff need you and our audiences need, we all need you, Lord. And so we pray you'll send your spirit and you'll open the eyes and ears of those who are seeking. We pray for channel surfers to stop and and view and consider what they believe and why. And we pray for this in the household of faith. In Jesus' name, amen. About the middle of last year, the Lord put on my heart to take another direction from the program instead of having guests. I came up with the idea that we were going to have a year in guests and the Lord just didn't have that on his mind. And... uh, so he had me step out into an area I was not so sure about doing. It was a leap of faith because I didn't know how to proceed and I was a bit hesitant. Let me reiterate something. Our sole ambition here is to lead people to saving faith in Jesus Christ, especially, but not solely, to members of the LDS Church. We use many methods and tools and approaches in this attempt. So the Lord put in my mind and heart to kind of flesh out this book and to establish in print what I believe his word says. I just had dinner with a good friend and he pointed out some some problems with the book, which of course there's always gonna be a rewrite with me. But we we have the first one and this generally gives the idea. Essentially, the book's aimed at helping the body see the dangers of assimilating with do-gooder faiths like Mormonism in an effort to save the world from inevitable moral decay. January one rolled around, and I started to prayerfully dip my toe in these new waters, seeing that it would lead, uh, seeing where it would leave here on live television. On the first show of the year, we mentioned that this year was gonna be difficult for some people. Because of the complexity of the issues, it's easy to be misread and misled, actually, if you you know the fact of the matter. But we push on, right? So last week, I had a sort of uh, realization solidified in my head about how, we to, how we're to continue forward. And I was able to sort of step back and, um, and have this grand zeitgeist of the whole picture of where we were and settled on what we were gonna do from this point forward. I mention this to you so you can know as believers that God sometimes does not tell you what you're really doing. Sometimes you have to continue to move forward and you're not really sure how it's gonna go. And sometimes it's difficult and you're fearful and you, and and you don't feel prepared or ready. and we've had a little bit of that in the first part of this year. So let me add to the groundwork um, that we laid in January and let me get, begin with an indisputable fact which we're gonna put up on the screen. Here it is. If a person believes what the Bible says is truth, that person cannot be a true believing Mormon. Conversely, if a person accepts Mormon doctrine as truth, they cannot in good faith accept the Bible. It's that simple, my friends. Mormonism and the Bible are in conflict with each other, they contradict each other, each creating a story of their own the Bible providing man with the good news, the gospel, and Mormonism providing another way. Now, I have never been under the impression that our ministry could any way compete with this multinational religious conglomerate that bring, is tax-exempt and brings in, they say, close to a billion dollars a month in revenue. Quite frankly, we do not even offer uh, what most religious human beings desire when they look for a church. Our stated goal has always been to reach those who God foreknew would hear the truth and receive the good news as the Bible describes it. We are well aware that there are about a 100 billion alternatives out there uh, to this good news that the Bible teaches, and Mormonism is but one. But it is the one God has placed on our heart to reach and to warn the world about. Now, the gospel is not chosen because it shines through in earthly advancements to the world, Uh, like many other religions tend to do in the smorgasbord of world religions. True biblical Christianity is not embraced because it provides more status, more earthly power, or typically more wealth to the believer. In fact, Jesus promised just the opposite. Ask yourselves, did the disciples of Jesus become more wealthy, obtain more honor, health and long life from following Jesus or the opposite? What did Jesus mean when he said in Matthew 5 10, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What did Peter mean when he wrote in 1 Peter 3 14 but and if ye suffer for righteousness sake happy are ye and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled." What did Paul say in Romans 5? Why did he say, we glory in tribulations? Why would Paul say that? What did Jesus mean when he said in Luke 6.22, "'Blessed are ye when men shall hate you, and when they shall separate you from their company, and shall reproach you, and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake.'" And what did He, Jesus say in John 15, 18? If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. No, the true gospel is chosen because it rings true to humbled hearts, hearts that recognize themselves as sinful and in need of an otherworldly solution. That solution name is Yeshua the Messiah, Jesus Christ. This gospel entices hearts to want, no matter what the cost is, him as he describes himself, not as men suggest that we need him. The gospel is not usually received by the best men and women on earth. Christians are often, sometimes, the, most, the worst human beings in, in the lot on earth as compared to others of higher accomplishment at least starting out they are. Just look at who Jesus attracted and spent his time with while he was on earth. The wealthy, popular, famous, and powerful typically have no need for the life Jesus promises. They have everything they think that they need. We see this principle exemplified in the Old Testament story of two brothers, Jacob and Esau. Let me tell you, if you could pick a guy to hang out with in this day and age, one who could be a cool friend, one who had skill, one who was probably fun, one who uh, was adventurous, it would have been Esau. Uh, The guy could hunt, he could cook, he was uh, his father's favorite guy, and he was certainly a man's man. Hairy, red, and bearded. Ah, you know, Esau. Esau was capable, self-determined, and trained, but a man completely drawn to embodying the things of the flesh, okay? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And then there was his twin brother, Jacob. According to biblical descriptions of him, there wasn't really much going on with him in terms of worldly panache. In fact, to me as a man, he was kind of a snake and he seemed to use deception as a way to get his ways. However, the only thing which is really the only thing that matters in the eternal sense of things about Jacob is he was somewhat ironically a man of great faith, a man who sought God, a man who longed to understand and know God something that his brother Esau was incapable of having. Representing people of the flesh and people of faith, Paul, using Esau and Jacob as types, quotes God as saying in Romans nine thirteen, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. No, real Christianity does not usually call to the accomplished, the proud, or the powerful within its ranks and it doesn't, or within the ranks of the world, and it doesn't or really shouldn't use the trappings of the world to try to catch people to become Christian. One of the reasons Mormonism is appealing is it appeals to the Esonian, if that's a word, flesh. Uh, Self-sufficiency, the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, power to become gods, power to procreate for eternity. Uh, All this can be very uh, attractive. It appeals to the things of this world by promising success in the things of this world, which attitudes and actions the Bible completely rejects. I mean, just consider the 12 apostles that Jesus called. What were they like? We've talked about it before. And what were they like compared to the religious rulers around them that Jesus had so much trouble with? Now, take a glance at the LDS um, apostles today, who who they call themselves prophets, seers, and revelators. Of Jesus Christ. Now, some of you are going to be proud and enticed by the backgrounds that I'm going to read to you right now. Uh, But others of you are going to be a little terrified when you translate to what it means in terms of this world. Of all 14 LDS apostles and the first presidency, only one appears to have not finished college. Elder Ballard, I could be wrong on that. Imagine how he feels offering an opinion at the table around these other men. Now, I am not against education. The more education, the better. But I'm just saying in terms of being an an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, are these qualifications necessary? Uh, L. Tom Perry got a bachelor's degree in finance from Utah State, that's admirable. And Monson and Packard each obtained doctorate degrees from BYU. Russell Nelson got his MD from the U of U and Dallin Oaks got his Juris Doctorate from the University of Chicago. These guys are not slackers. Cook graduated from law from Stanford. Bednar got his doctorate from Purdue. Holland got his doctorate from Yale. And Christopherson his law degree from Duke. And how about Iring Hales, and Anderson? Harvard, Harvard, Harvard. But Matthew was a tax collector and Peter was a fisherman. True Christianity is also not often seen as the most intellectually stimulating system of beliefs on the block. I think it is, but it often isn't seen that way. Nor is it the most popular among the masses, nor does it have the best meeting halls, nor do there, do Christians typically dress the best, the most fashionable, have the best organizations, or have the best choirs. Where Mormonism seeks to appeal to people by being something appealing to them, it is humble, broken people that Christianity reaches out to. Do you kinda see the difference? Mormonism is trying to present something that people say, I want to be part of that because it appeals to my flesh. While Christianity, Christ, uh, wants to reach out itself to the people who are just the opposite, who are broken and humble. There is such a marked difference between the two. But because there is a cost to genuine Christianity, the counterfeits proliferate, typically offering a deceptive little mix of truth and the world. In the book of Deuteronomy, Moses spoke prophetically about the coming of Jesus. He said these words and it's very, very insightful to what he said prior to telling them about this Messiah who is gonna come. It seems the children of Israel were being instructed by the Lord on how to act when they entered into the promised land. This is what it says. When thou art come unto the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not learn to do after the abomination of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone that maketh his son or his daughter to pass through the fire, or that useth divination, or an observer of times, or an enchanter, or a witch, or a charmer, or a consulter with familiar spirits, or a wizard, or a necromancer. For all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord thy God have driven them out from before thee. Thou shalt be perfect with the Lord thy God. For these nations which thou shalt possess hearken unto observers of times and unto diviners. But as for you, the Lord thy God hath not suffered thee to do so. Okay? Then it is in verse 15 that Moses delivers to the children of Israel the most glorious and beautiful promise. One I'm sure he hopes they will retain in their heart as they're in that promised land. He says, speaking of the Messiah, the Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren like unto me, unto him ye shall hearken. All the way back to Moses' day and age, God issued forth a warning. There will be lying spirits that will call to you and deceptive practices which will tempt you and a power and even a light of the world that will offer itself to you. These discerning, uh, discerners of spirits will promise you peace, but the Lord thy God will raise up to thee a prophet, that's with a capital P, From the midst of you, like unto me, meaning like unto Moses, and unto him thou shalt hearken. So it is with Christianity today. Where we spent the whole of 2010 comparing and contrasting Mormon doctrine, we're going to spend the rest of 2011 the next 11 months comparing and contrasting the culture methods means and mission of Mormonism today against what the Bible says the methods means and mission of true biblical Christianity should be we're gonna look at the fruit of Mormonism and the fruit of Christianity we're gonna look at the wealth we're gonna look at the attitudes toward the things of this world including their political power and their political ambitions we're going to examine temple rites not discourteously but we're gonna show you how they play into this whole picture. We're going to look at their eschatological purview, their stated purposes and promises to be obedient LDS members, and we're going to look at the strange fruit of Mormonism, their off-break branches. We're going to look at Mark Hoffman, Elizabeth Smart, the Lafferty Brothers, Chris Namelka, and Mark Hacking, and how how they do not conflict with Mormonism in what they did, but how they rather reflect it. All the while, we're going to observe what the Bible says in comparison to the image and promises Mormonism presents. It goes without saying in the end, we fully realize that the picture we're going to paint of true Christianity will not appeal to all of you. The trappings of the LDS uh, promises are far too strong in your lives, but our hope is that some of you will hear clearly the call on your life for the first time. No matter what you give up, no matter what you sacrifice, no matter what you're suffering, you suffering, dis- you will discover that that desire is worth its weight in gold once you embrace it and come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. It is for you that we work and for you that we pray. So with that, let's open up the phone lines, 801 8820 tv 20 uh, please turn down your TV sets. We've had some problems again tonight, so we're gonna see if it works. And uh, uh, just say your prayers. And if not, we're gonna read a bunch of emails. So we're gonna go to May, and she is on line three in West Jordan, Utah. May, you're on heart of the matter. Hi, Sean. Hey, we haven't seen you. May. Okay, May. Do me a favor and start over, because we—I did. Now I can hear you. Oh,
1: you—oh, can you—can you hear
0: me now? I can. Okay, good. Hey, um, we haven't seen you in a while, and it's good to see you. Where have I been? You
1: know what? We haven't switched you on. Sorry. (laughs) How dare you? Can you hear me now? I can. Okay. Yeah. Uh, So yeah, we started watching you again. my husband uh, told his boss about your show, and now he watches you every Tuesday.
0: Well, praise God, that's wonderful. Yes, he, he really enjoys your show,
1: and he just looks forward to watching you every Tuesday. And of course, we're we're going to start watching you every Tuesday. And I was wondering, um, do you think you'll ever move to Salt Lake?
0: Um. Well, we were just talking about that, and uh, there's—I I love Utah. I, lo- I'm, I'm, I have a, a greater love for Utah than my native state of California. I would love to live here full time. My wife uh, may be moving up here in the next six months, uh, but the problem is, one is—is is safety, <laughs> and. Uh, and uh, two, there's some health things that go on, so we're just trying to figure it out. But if we have our druthers then, uh, and our youngest daughter graduates from high school, we're going to.
1: Wonderful. Wonderful. Because Was- you know, we're trying to find a church to go to. We've been attending a uh, non-denominational church you know, every so often. But I don't know. Uh, just don't get the
0: spirit. Well, have you tried? Uh, where are you calling from?
1: Uh, I'm calling from uh, West Jordan.
0: Yeah, keep searching. You'll find a church that will will suit you, and that's the beautiful thing about being part of the body of Christ. I mean, there's people who uh, they even go so far as staying in the Catholic church, and they they, they, they they love the Lord, but they're in that, and they stay there, and they find it. They like all that liturgy, and they like the ritual, and they that's what they do, and so that's fine as long as you know the Lord. So you might find a, a Pentecostal church. You might find a Baptist church. But the Lord is, uh, he knows humans are diverse, and so keep searching. Don't give up. Indeed. Okay, that's wonderful news. Well, God bless you. Take care. Okay, thanks. Okay, thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, I got to ask something, Derek. Can, they, can the audience, TV audience, hear this when, without me pulling this down? No. They cannot. Okay. Ka- um, We're going to Kathy in Ogden, Utah. Kathy, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Um, I have a question for you. Okay.
1: I was born in May LDS. I was a good little Mormon girl. I took four years of seminary. I took four years of institute, and I went on an LDS mission.
0: Okay. Hold on just one second. Uh, you need to repeat what uh, you said. okay. You know what? We have a problem. You're going to have to, I'm sorry, but you got to call back. We're going to go right to emails until they try to work this out. I'm going to read a bunch of emails so we can just get something done. Sorry about the callers, but we got to figure this out and move on from from there. Okay, this is a great email. Um, It's from Jeannie. I left the Mormon church officially about two years ago. I haven't been an avid watcher of your television program. I have been. I have one question for you. Do you have to be an evangelical to be a Christian, or to have God's spirit. I have tried to attend other churches sporadically. The only church I feel remotely comfortable in is the Episcopal Church. Um, So, And she goes on, I went to Calvary Chapel service in Maryland, I live in Baltimore. The pastor's wife was very negative towards this and that. And she's just complaining about, her main question is, do I have to be what she calls an evangelical Christian in order to be a born-again Christian, okay, no. The Holy Spirit is what changed your heart, okay? So uh, Jeannie, that is what brought you into justification, okay? You are justified by the shed blood of Christ. Now, however, if you want to grow now as a Christian, if you want to really get in and understand what his word teaches, you wanna find a church that is going to, to teach the word of God, in the book of Ezekiel, it, the, 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 the sheep of Israel were lost because the pastors didn't give them the word. They didn't feed them the word. So your growth as a Christian is going to be predicated on where you choose to worship. Now, uh, the Episcopal Church, uh, it has a lot of its problems, you know? And there's, uh, I don't know what specifically you're talking about, but I'm not saying you can't be a born-again Christian and be in an Episcopal Church, but it would be like saying... Um, you know, are you allowed to enter into Disneyland and then do you just have to sit there right on the corner of Main Street and just be able to, to play with one little uh, thing there in the corner and you don't get to experience the whole park? You want to be able to experience the whole park and so you want to find someone who teaches the whole word of God. Not so do- dogmatic as to say there's nobody who's in the Episcopal Church or that church or that church, but you really want to find... What that term, evangelical, that's kind of a, a, a big, broad brush stroke that people talk about today. And I don't even sometimes like being called an evangelical Christian. I am a follower of Christ. So are you. So are others. You go, but you want to try to find a church that teaches the word of God. Okay. They can hear when you hold the mic to the speaker. But what about when it comes out here? All right. Caller asks... Ask the LDS person to look at their Bible and see how much they have highlighted it, then compare the highlights to their Book of Mormon. Very good point. Uh, one of their articles of faith says, we believe the Book of Mormon to be the Word of God. We also believe the Bible to be the Word of God as far as it's translated correctly. So you're holding one book and they believe it to be the most correct on the book on the face of the earth, the Book of Mormon. You have another book in your hand and you believe it, that it's the Word of God as far as it's translated correctly. And yet they haven't made any changes to fix the translation, supposedly. Uh, they don't use Joseph Smith's translation of it. So which one are you going to read? Which one are you going to trust? You're going to trust the Book of Mormon. So. Generally speaking, Mormons do not study the Bible in the way that we just showed you this example of them doing it earlier. Glenn from Star Valley, Wyoming wants to know if you have ever heard of the term Jack Mormon, what does it mean? From my understanding, the term Jack Mormon came from an old boxer whose name was Jack Dempsey, also a Mormon. Mr. Jack Dempsey liked to drink, but he was a baptized Mormon, and since they kind of associated those two and call him a Jack Mormon, Where do I get that information from? In the basement of the BYU football stadium. They have a memorial to all great Mormon athletes and on the plaque talking about Jack Dempsey. That's where I learned that years ago as a student at BYU. You can check me on my facts if you want. Okay, next one uh, in here says, this is an amazing uh, email. Uh, It's from Josh Durham. He's from Josh and Durham something. Durham, uh, North Carolina. It says that... uh, He asked his stake president to be excommunicated and the stake president didn't respond and so he called him and said, I want to be excommunicated. I mean, I want to have my name taken off the record of the church and not be excommunicated because if you excommunicate me, you're trying to slander my name. I guess this man is a physician in the neighborhood that uh, he lives in. And he said, the the stake president said, we would never do that, try to excommunicate you. We're going to get your name off the record. Well, uh, a few weeks later, he gets a call and the uh, bishop out there, uh, the stake president said, well, we're going to excommunicate you for apostasy. And this physician said, wait a minute, I asked you to take my name off. I have done nothing. And the, and the stake president said, you have disseminated information that was against the church to other people. And so this physician says, look, it, my wife and I want our names off the records. And he said, I'll tell you what, I'll make you a deal. If you promise not to ever give out any of that information to any other Latter-day Saints, we won't excommunicate you and you can walk away. But if you start disseminating that information to people, we're gonna excommunicate you. You see, what people don't understand who haven't been LDS is that he has a practice in his, na- in his, in his uh, community where he help- he's in a medical practice. He said already he's losing patients who have transferred doctors. Why? Because the Mormon community, when you're in it, they, they are all behind you and they support you and everything else. But when you leave, word gets around. He says it was announced in their ward. Do not communicate with him anymore because we've excommunicated him. Not just that he took his name off, we've exed him. And so it hurts him financially it hurts his family because the whispering goes around. It hurts everything. In this state, it's even worse. His brother, who also left, said, wrote this following statement. The church paints itself as a lamb with a beautiful white fleece, grazing in a perfect green field surrounded by other lambs that follow and abide by its teachings. When you double cross the church, the lamb's upper lip curls and the fangs are revealed and hooves turn to paws with sharp retracted claws its beautiful fleece turns into filthy bloody stained coat of fur you see the bloody carcass surrounded the wolf that where the the members were once members of its flocks that discovered its deceit and tried to get away you then see it for the disease infested vicious beast that it really is it's a wolf in sheep's clothing all along when you're not part of them you are foreboding and against them. If you obviously are not part of the flock, they don't help you at all. I'm gonna tell you a true story. It happened to me today. I'm driving my beautiful white 1972 something van and it breaks down on the freeway. And there is, the next exit's three miles away where I can get out. So I have to get out and I have a bag filled with uh, books and it's heavy and I'm walking down the freeway and I counted for one minute, About a hundred cars a minute passed me, okay? And I walked for almost 60 minutes. So 100 times 60 is what? 6,000? 60,000? 60,000 cars passed me. I almost walked two miles before finally this blue van pulls over and this Hispanic woman named Antonia and a little niece and another man who didn't speak English are in the back. And they say, come on, come on. So I get in their car and they take me to uh, where I live with my daughter here in Utah. And I say, are you Mormon? And they say, no, we're not. And so we're able to have a little discussion. I said, why did you pick me up? They were on the other side of the freeway going the other way. And they saw me. And she said, that guy's walking on the freeway. Oh, and there's his broken down car. They got off, came, went the opposite direction, and picked me up. Now, why don't you think... Of all those 60,000 cars that passed me in that hour, while I'm lugging this thing along, how come no one pulled over to pick me up? Was it because of the way I look? Do I not look Mormon enough? If I was in a white shirt and a tie and was shaved, do you think they would pull me, some LDS would have pulled over and picked me up? Or do you think they would have said, well, he's not in my ward, I don't need to worry about him? So that's the mentality here. If you're not part of it, The love and extension does not go unless it's corporately assigned. That is not what it means to be a Christian, my friends. Okay, we're gonna try it again. Diana, Salt Lake City, use your mic to volumize her. Diana, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi there, Sean. Hello. How are you? I blew that one. Let's try another one. I don't know who you are, speak.
1: Uh, this is Glenn from Star Valley. Hey, Glenn, how you doing? Yeah, good. I'm doing good. I like your show, Sean. Uh, have you ever heard the term Jack Mormon? I think you were just talking about. It. I, I didn't catch it.
0: Yeah, I just answered it. It was from Jack Dempsey.
1: Yeah, well, I guess if I was going to write a book, it'd be I was a born again Jack Mormon. Oh. Uh But now I know the Lord, and I've been born again, and uh, I know another way. But these, uh, I was just wondering. Uh, run into a lot of people that say they're a Jack Mormon.
0: There's a, there's a lot of them. And you know, that's I guess
1: a, that means they just don't go to
0: church. It means they don't follow the rules to make them an active Mormon. They don't go to church. They probably drink coffee, maybe smoke or drink. And yet, if you want to have an argument with somebody, have tell a Jack Mormon that the Mormon church is false. And you uh, will find police, people who uh, will de- defend that church to the death. Yeah, they do. Yeah, and, uh, but
1: but These I, Jack Mormons, I think they're just... Uh, some people that don't have very much faith in the church to begin with, but they're afraid to let go.
0: Yeah, I think you're right about that. We're going to keep uh, moving it on, my friend, okay?
1: Well, when I was a Jack Mormon, I kept a hold of that church because I thought it was something that I needed and I would be ostracized from the community in that. But if, if this percentage, I think there's quite a few Jack Mormons.
0: Well, they're, they're, I would say probably at least half of the 14 million are Jack Mormons.
1: Yeah, well, then they need to realize that they're really, they don't have any faith.
0: Well, of course, I think they realize that, but they are beholden to the, the religious culture which keeps them trapped, and they think that is good enough. You see, if you're a Jack Mormon, it's better than being not Mormon at all to their parents and family. In fact, their parents their family who are active Mormons, they would rather have them stay a Jack Mormon, be an alcoholic in the street, than become an evangelical Christian. I've heard many stories of, of faithful LDS parents say that.
1: Yeah, but have you ever heard somebody say, I'm a Jack Christian or a Jack... Muslim or a Jack Buddhist or whatever.
0: No, but I have heard people say I'm a backslidden uh, Christian, and that's the same well, thing.
1: I guess that's the same thing, but these people need to know how important their salvation is. There, there's nothing there for them. Being a Jack Mormon doesn't get you in a lower place in heaven just because you're on a Mormon list. Uh,
0: no, no. The, unfortunately, Glenn, that's not correct. You see, what the teaching is, what Joseph Smith taught, is if the parents of a family are sealed in the temple and their children become Jack Mormons, later in the eternities, those children will come up and become celestialized beings. He said, Boyd K. Packer quoted him and said, don't deny the power of the sealing. So unfortunately, that is not uh, actually correct, Glenn.
1: Oh, so they think they're in no matter what?
0: If their parents remain faithful, yes.
1: Oh, I see. Well, then they think they're okay. It's okay to be a Jack Mormon. You're on the list and you're...
0: It's better to be a Jack than to not be at all. You're
1: in the club pretty good,
0: then. I guess so. That's Th- hell
1: of a way of looking at your, your uh, salvation. It really
0: is. Hey, thanks for the call, Glenn. we got to move on. We've got a lot of people.
1: I'm going to break my rusty Cajun run.
0: All right, good. Praise God. Thanks for calling. OK, bye. This is really difficult to have a really meaningful dialogue. Gee. But we have quality stuff going on here, with top of the line stuff. Okay, we're going to go to Diane in Sandy, Utah. Diane, you're on heart of the matter. I've lost Diane again. We're going to Carol in Cedar City, first time caller on line 4. Carol. Okay, we're going to not we're going to break this phone in 500 pieces and just read emails. Okay, Gregory Anderson says, you stated that you were an LDS seminary teacher. Would you enlighten us on how one qualifies to become one? Is a formal teaching certificate required or is it simply a calling? They give you a handbook and they say, go to it, brother. When I was a four-year seminary graduate, I looked back to consider what a waste of time, Wish instead I had done the release time. He talks and talks about different stuff like Boyd K. Packer telling him the Beatles music was of the devil. I guess it depends on what album. The White Album, maybe, but the early stuff, probably not. Anyway, um, to be an LDS seminary teacher, there's two types. In California... They have volunteer or people who are called to be seminary teachers, early morning seminary teachers. So you get up at five in the morning. You go to the LDS church. The kids come in and you teach them before they go into uh, uh, their classes at high school. And then you're done. That's what you do. You have your normal job. Then there are people called CES. They're full-time church employees. They have to go through the church's program. They have to become uh, accredited through some type of degree, uh, not CES degree, but they are a professional seminary teacher. So they have a professional, the church educational system, and then they have... Uh, People who are called to do it and they're just like volunteers who come in and do it every day until they're released So it's it's actually both. Okay, let's uh, Angel says I've talked to Mormons that say the Nicene Council was corrupt and was just a man-made doctrine and they stand by it with great fervor even though true history says it's uh, well documented Is this a prevalent church teaching? Yes. Uh, All the apostles of the LDS church who have taught on the apostasy say that it was with the uh, Athanasian, the Apostolic, and the Nicene Creeds that that's when the church really fell into its darkest pit. That is when God became Trinitarian. Prior to that, they claim that God was known as a a father who was separate from a son, separate from the Holy Spirit. The father had a body of flesh and bone. And they say all that was lost because of the corrupt creeds that were created uh, by uh, Nicaea and things like that. What they don't understand is we don't need the creeds. We have the word of God. I never read the, the creeds until I got into Bible school. I read the word of God and came convinced of the Trinity. I came, became convinced that there was one God and that Jesus was God and the Father was God and the Spirit, Holy Spirit was God and that the Father didn't have a body. That's straight from scripture. I never read a creed to teach me that. So what, the way to respond to a Latter-day Saint is say, oh, the church fell apart. I say, well, forget the Nicene Creed. Forget early church history. Let's just read the Bible, what does it say? And there you will find the argument is kind of diffused. Now, that being said, I agree with the creeds. I've read them now and I think that for the most part, they're completely, they're great. And most of them were put in place, especially Nicaea, to fight against Arianism, which was the heresy that Jesus was not God. And so they, they, did the, they put the creed together, the Nicene Creed, to say, look at We bring all the scholars in and the church leaders together. Let's look at the Bible. What does it say? And they came up with a Nicene Creed to say, Jesus was God, Arians. And that's why the creeds were put together to fight the heresy that Jesus wasn't. So I hope that helps. Oh, and you know, one quick story before we run out of time. Uh, years ago if you've been watching the program you've heard the story about how I was out on the street corner one night and uh, probably a broken-down car again and uh, I was approached by a street walker and her name was Millie well she I guess she really went through some tough times but she's come around I heard she's doing really well and someone sent us a photo of Millie so we just wanted to show it to you and say you know good job Millie we're glad you're doing well there's Millie today so really glad she's uh, on the up and up I guess she's very uh, patriotic and looks like she's uh, been dabbling in the sea's candy a bit like me. So a very good, Millie. We love you. And I just wanted to show that to you. Okay, one more quick one. I'm currently reading your book, Born Again Mormon. uh, But I have a Mormon friend that I'm trying to approach and she is very defensive about the topic. What do you suggest I do? Uh, We get this all the time, and let me tell you what I believe is the best way. If you start approaching Latter-day Saints with the information you find like on this show and stuff, some of them are going to be reached that way. Methods matter, and for a certain person, the Spirit leads do that. But mostly, if they are dyed-in-the-wool LDS, you're going to reach them by talking to them about Jesus Christ. You talk to them about His sacrifice, Talk to them about the fact that they have to be born again, the imperative in John 3. Ask them if they've been born again. Do they know when they die they are going to be with God? Or do they hope? Are they working toward that? Talk to them about Jesus and how he gives new life, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes into the Father but by him and him alone just focus on Jesus. Keep representing Jesus in your actions, in your love, in your service. If you're married, show that love to your spouse. Do not divorce because of religious differences. Show it to your children. Show it to your spouse as Christ would want you to. That's the best way to approach them. And then when they're ready for facts, come to shows like this. We'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter.